0: Oh!
1: Oh! Oh! Hey, on goal! On Joseph goal. Oh! Joseph payment! Oh goal!
0: Through the zone, is mom taking matters in his own hands. Woppy, faints a shot, shoots. Oh! oh my! God. What? B-Y-G <laughs> Celebrity does the sweeping of the
1: ice. My feet, speedy feet, he does it to Chances! Oh. oh! That's a goal from Nicholas Hauger! And now he's celebrating Sheffield win the race. Oh god, it's in the danger zone.
0: Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, sorry. Oh, no, sorry, we're, sorry, we're laughing. It's just that was bad timing.
2: Hi everyone, this is Essie. Thank you so much for listening to the BITA podcast. Most of you will know me by now as your player's rep for the second season running. And I also run the BIH development Instagram page. Now, you're probably wondering, where are Rambo and Nick? And don't worry, they are joining us, but I'll be taking on as the host today and we'll talk all things hockey development and also answer some questions you submitted through us to Instagram. Um, We've also got some guests coming up, so I'll, I'll get onto that a little bit later. But as I mentioned, we've got Nick and Rambo here today. It's been a few episodes since we last spoke on here. So, Nick, how are you doing?
1: I'm very well, thanks, Essie. Yourself?
2: Yeah, I'm all good. What about you, Rambo?
1: I'm doing
0: very well. Nick will be dead chuffed. He never gets to speak first, so that was that was <laughs> nice. But uh, thanks
1: for having us on today, Essie.
2: No, thank you. How does it feel being on that side of the mic, Nick?
1: It's going to be a little bit strange, but um, I I always constantly feel like I'm getting interviewed by Rambo anyway, so uh, it's it'll it'll be a little bit different, but. Um, I'm more intrigued to see how Rambo's gonna talk, not kind of being the, the background voice for the entire entire show.
0: Yeah,
2: that'd be interesting. What do you think, Rambo? How does it feel?
1: It feels it feels strange.
0: I've got a lot of nonsense in my head that I normally like to get out. Um so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting, but I'll 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 keep it on topic. Maybe we'll get it done in less than an hour and a half today.
2: We'll see, we'll see. I'll cut you off if you start rambling. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, well, as I said, we're not alone today. We've got two guest coaches with us. I welcome Stephen Lynch and Ryan Rathbone. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll let you guys introduce yourself a little bit to those who don't know you yet. Uh, Stephen, we'll start with you. Can you tell us a little about who you are and what your hockey journey has been like?
3: Sure, sure, no problem. Hi, my name is Stephen Lynch um... I'm currently the head coach of Scottish ice hockey. I've been involved in the game in one capacity or another for around 40 years now. Um, I started playing hockey at about four years old, um, worked my way way up through the Kerkoddy Ice Hockey Club junior development system. Um, Played my first game for the five flyers at 15. And then after after that, moved um, around a few clubs. I played a year in Dumfries, a year in Ayr, a a couple of years in Paisley. Uh, about eight years in Edinburgh with the Capitals, and then I came back to finish my career in Fife uh, and then kind of started getting involved in coaching. Um, I was assistant coach with the Flyers for a year, uh, and then after that I really got heavily involved in junior coaching um, at the club in Kirkcaldy, uh with Scottish ice hockey. Uh, I, I've currently been uh, running the national programme for Scottish ice hockey for a few years and uh, spent a couple of years as the GB under-16 coach too.
2: Nice. That is so interesting. And Ryan, a lot of our players might know you already. You've probably coached them at development camps or your own club. But can you also introduce yourself and your hockey journey to those who don't
4: know yet? Yeah, no problem. So I'm uh, the head of international programme for the BUHA. That's my main position, overseeing the Great Britain University programmes. So we've got men and women's teams at the moment preparing for the games in in 2021, uh, coaching the women's team myself. Um, but I'm based at Nottingham normally, working with the university club there, uh, worked with the women's team in Nottingham in the past um, and lots of other teams really across across the entire sport.
2: Nice. I, I'm sure a lot of our players have, have seen you on the ice at some forms. And funnily enough, I think, Ryan, you were coaching me and Nick at Vera Mackey before Rambo even became my coach. And now we're here chatting. So that tells a lot about how small the hockey world is. Um, have any of you got any ridiculous instances where you thought, wow hockey world is the smallest especially in the UK I mean it can be anything I feel like I have that all the time I end up going to like abroad and seeing people from back home in meetings that have nothing to do with where I am so anything
3: I think it's always funny when you maybe go five or 10 years without seeing somebody and you just you bump into them and sometimes the most random a place you know, it can be on, on holiday or just when you're walking down a street somewhere, you're running to somebody you maybe played on a team with or spend some, spend some time in hockey with. You, you catch up like your old friends and you've, you just saw each other last week.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think funniest is sometimes when you've played with somebody for ages and then you end up coaching them or you end up being sort of in a position where you meet them later on. So, yeah, I definitely agreed. Um, Now, I mentioned we'll talk about some development topics today. And some of you might have noticed, I do a Q&A every Sunday on the development Instagram page. And we've had some really great conversations with players about training off the ice, starting as a new player, you know, where do you start with equipment questions, and, and that's really what the page was made for. So for this episode, I asked people to send through questions they'd want to ask you guys specifically. Um, and there's really some great ones that I think we'll, we'll have a good discussion with. Um, but before I get into the Instagram questions, I have a few of my own to discuss. Now, you might know I am super passionate about hockey development. Uh, and we all know that the coach has a really significant part in you know shaping a player both on and off the ice, especially when we're at the sort of Peak development stages. So I want to know, thinking about your own roles as coaches, what has been the most rewarding moment in your coaching career? Rambo will go to you first because I think I might know, but I'm not sure.
0: Um, I think I mean I've coached the Eagles um, and the Phoenix. Obviously, the two the recce team, uh, the Edinburgh Phoenix, and the and the, obviously the Eagles, who most of our listeners will know from Edinburgh. Um. And both of them were very rewarding and um, had some good times with the Eagles on the road and stuff like that. Probably not so good when I was driving for them because I tended to get a bit sleepy. Uh, but I think the most rewarding thing for me was, was starting the Steel Queens and getting them off the ground and uh, and seeing some players who maybe were scared to try hockey before uh, you know, because they, they weren't as comfortable with a mixed environment come and, come and get involved in the game. And uh, we've had some... Obviously, some great players, GB Internationalists and Beth, and hopefully one day Sophie will get to play for us. This pandemic will go away. Um, and then we've had, you know, people at the other end like Rachel, who you brought along to the first uh, camp and, uh, or training session and is now, you know, a big part of the, the club. So I think, yeah, the most rewarding thing for me was, was that development with the, the Steel Queens, etc.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. Steel Queens was a really, really huge part of, of the hockey thing. Um, what about you, Ryan? You've got a lot of experience in, in international scenes, in the uni club scene, women's scene. What's What's the most rewarding thing for you?
4: Yeah, I think you know, there's there's always you know w- w- winning some sort of league titles or things like that, which which always you know they have a strong memory because you tend to have a very good team bond. Um, when when that's happening, but. I think probably the most the most rewarding is when you get when you get some beginners coming on the ice that, that can barely stand up, and by you know the end of the first sort of season, you see them skating and playing in games. I think that's that's probably the most rewarding thing to see because the progress is 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 there and it's really obvious.
2: Yeah, definitely, it's always so nice to see your input going into a player. And um, what about you, Stephen? What's what's most rewarding to you?
3: Um. Along the same lines as what Ryan just said, I think the most rewarding thing is watching a a young player develop. Um, You know, sometimes you take a kid and help them on the ice at four or five years old for the first time, like Ryan says, when they can, when they're just learning to skate. And then you watch that player develop over a period of time, whether it be five years, ten years, and you maybe see them get the opportunity to play for Scotland or a couple of players that I've coached over the years have made it to Great Britain. And that's, that's definitely the, the most rewarding thing is taking a player almost holding their hand for the very first time that they step on the ice to try and learn to play and just watching them and mentoring them and trying and help with their development and seeing how far you can take them.
2: Yeah, that is so interesting. Nick, do you have any rewarding moments with your club?
1: Um, not to be incredibly boring, but actually I think we're all in consensus here that we've all got the same kind of opinion that, again won titles both as a player and as a coach and done different things, but there's nothing more rewarding than <clears throat> than seeing someone's journey go through. But I, I think adding to what the guys have said there, it's about as much as anything else, especially the people that come into uni who might never have tried the sport before or, or would never kind of get involved in it, seeing them kind of transition at the end of their uni phase onto either playing regularly in rec or playing women's hockey or something like that, seeing someone that basically you, you might have 5 five years ago being involved with and then obviously they've gone on to, to better things or different things and, and catching up with them and seeing hey actually five years ago if, if they'd have not invested in this they, they wouldn't have been where they are now kind of thing so it, it's little things like that which which are the rewarding ones or the most rewarding ones for me anyway
2: yeah, I definitely agree with all these. And, you know, as coaches, I feel like you're a mentor and, and it's so great to see that what you do really has an impact on somebody's performance or a team performance. So really great stuff there. And and that kind of leads me onto to the second question. What is the hardest thing about coaching for you personally? And Stephen, we'll go to you first.
3: I, I think the hardest thing is the, the limitations that we're faced with here in Scotland. You know, we don't have a lot of ice rinks. We don't have a lot of ice time. Some clubs, for instance, uh, at junior level, their players can only get on the ice once a week. Um, some clubs are luckier where their kids can get on the ice three or four times a week, that, you know, and that, that's given them a great chance to develop, but some clubs don't have that luxury. So that's definitely the biggest challenge is the the, the obstacles face that, that we're facing. Uh, and, of course, the biggest obstacle right now where nobody's on the ice at all.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um what about you, Ryan? You're kind of, I, I, I would assume Nottingham doesn't really have that much of an ice rink problem when it comes to ice time. You guys tend to get a lot more um, ice time and you've got Sheffield around and stuff. So what's the hardest thing for, for being a coach to you?
4: Yeah, we, we don't have the... Th- similar issue with ice rinks and ice time you know, we're quite lucky being being based in nottingham we've got two ice rinks there um although i do have to admit it's not always a always a pleasure having two ice rinks with the concerts and events that come in and take one away pretty quickly um but i think you know i think for me probably one of the biggest the biggest sort of challenges of coaching is the, is the inconsistencies across across um like you know players turning up for training week in week out you, you almost it's that unknown e- each time you get to a, to a different session of what you're gonna get or who you're gonna get and and all, all of that sort of environment that comes with it. So you, you can plan you know, as much stuff as you like, but with a lot of the time with the the sort of teams that we work with, especially in university hockey, you don't know what sort of players you're gonna get from one week to the next, which which then makes it a real challenge.
2: Yeah, yeah, I totally hear that. It's so hard. You you know you can be the most prepared and then still not know what you're turning up to. So. Definitely. What about Rambo, you? I think you'll probably um, agree with Stephen about the, the ice time and sort of the accessibility side of things. So what's what's the most challenging to you as a coach?
0: Yeah, I think it's that. I think um, in Scotland, certainly, we're, you know, struggling for ice a lot. Um, we only get an, an hour a week for Steel Queen's practice, which when you've got a mix of abilities, which maybe, you know, not every club faces is is quite difficult so um, I think that is the biggest challenge is not having a nice time and then I I would echo what Ryan says as well that sometimes the players can give you a bit of a headache where you know you set up a drill for the week or set up a practice plan for the week and you've got everybody in groups so they're learning at their own pace or whatever and then suddenly you know one of the players doesn't tell you and doesn't turn up and then you're feverishly having to try and change things around to make it work because you maybe got three on three drills and now you've got a group of five um or whatever so it, it, that is the the biggest challenge with being a coach and, um, and and at uni level I think the biggest challenge with being a coach is having to get up for work the next morning probably as well so uh yeah that's that's what I'd say
2: yeah definitely what about you Nick any any challenges or or hard things for you as a coach
1: I would I would really agree with what what everybody else has said, but I would probably add another thing, which is sometimes one of the biggest challenges I find as a coach is you. Every player is different, and every especially at the development level, every player learns differently and 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 needs different things. And it's about you might have a group of ten beginners at the start of the year, and and they're all going to learn at different paces, and they're all going to need different different teaching points and different times when you're going to have to give them more attention than, than others, and it's about having an adaptable message that realising that some players learn in different ways and some players you can really push and, and are really going to be kind of the guys who are going to go off and, and watch the YouTube videos and learn and turn up the next week and say hey, I've, I've seen this, I want to do this or you're going to have the people who, who are literally just hanging on your every word kind of just, I, I'm only doing exactly what you told me to do and it's about realising sometimes that your, your message might not come across as clearly as you think it is and, and not getting frustrated with that and and realising that everybody's different and everybody learns in different ways. I'd say that's probably one of the biggest, the biggest challenges.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think for me, in any sort of coaching or mentor situation, I think the hardest thing for me definitely is you know, you're, you're only one person, but you're having to adapt to, you know, 15, 20 different types of people and, and they're not going to respond the same way. And I think you see that a lot, you know, the, the different coaching styles that you have to sort of come up with for all your players because some people, especially what Nick said, you know, want to really be pushed, but that does not work for other people. That makes them demotivated. So I think coaches have a really hard job in, you know, figuring out what type of players you have and, and what, works for every player so thanks for those those are really 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 good and you know we all have challenges so it's good to hear that it's not all about the rewards but you know we all have have things to develop and I think sometimes those challenges can can push you as a coach to develop as well and now amongst developing players one of my huge passions is injuries and you've either sat through our BHA AGM individual team talks, or maybe you've seen it on social media, but I basically spent my entire master's year studying injuries in the BUHA players. Um, and I'm currently refining the final version of a player development and injury prevention guide. And what I want to know from you coaches is, how do you think our sport will benefit from understanding injuries better? And, and will you as a coach do anything different with that going forward, and um, Rambo, we'll go to you first since you've kind of seen me talk about this a lot with Steel Queens and the BHA.
0: Um, I think making sure that players are looking after themselves is a big challenge sometimes in the in the Steel Queens, and making sure that you know they're um, they're taking advice. Uh, there's been a couple of times actually, um, and you you'll know about this in terms of injury prevention where you have these teachable moments and you sometimes want the referees to come through for you and uh, call a penalty on your player um, in friendly games and stuff so they learn and don't do it again. And that's not quite happened. But um, I think, you know, making sure that players know the, the boundaries early is is important for uh, injury prevention. And um, and um, if we're not sure, then refer them to you. I think, Essie, is the, is the next best plan for me.
2: I'll happily take them on. I won't do an hour lecture on about injuries, but I'll, I'll revert them to the right people. Um, Nick, what about you? you? You had a little chat with me with your team and, and we had really, really good discussions about injuries and, and some of the concerns that players had in terms of you know our level being quite you know, varied. We have people who know what they're doing and we have people who don't know what they're doing. So, so how, how do you think our sport will benefit from, from this understanding?
1: Massively so. I think the more that people understand it, and the more that people—they—they they don't necessarily have to do do the research. There just has to be a le- basic level of understanding of some of the the do's and don'ts, and how to how to look after yourselves. Especially for for a lot of these people, they're they're involved in their studies or are going to be going into the working world, and realizing that actually what what they do in hockey and and what can what they can get damaged by in hockey is is important that they have to look after themselves because. There are consequences in the wider world that if you if you're starting to miss work or you're starting to miss lectures or anything like that because um, because you're getting injured or you're not giving yourself the time to recover, it's going to have a knock-on effect. So it, it's about educating everybody, and also I think you understand Essie as well as as well as anybody else that especially at the the entry level and and getting people into the sport as we do at university level, it's about people understanding the the dangers of the sport but also realizing that it's it is an incredibly safe sport to do as well if if you do it and practice good uh good techniques etc and getting rid of that fear factor that everybody's done the whole oh i've seen the you go ice skate and you put your hand on the ice someone runs across it kind of thing like oh it's like well that's not that's not how it works in, in everyday practice there's there's these people's everybody's seen the clint Marlichuk Gets his throat split video and everybody thinks that happens every other week and real, not realizing that these are very 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 rare anomalies. But yeah, the the stuff that you've been doing in terms of the concussions etc is is massively important because that's one of the main main problems that we face at, uh, at our level.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I'm super passionate about this. So um, I think anything that we can do for our players, especially because we are, you know, an entry level, you know, association to begin, obviously we have a lot of experience too, but, you know, those people will not know this stuff before. So I think it's important that coaches, you do take on some of that responsibility in in educating your players and making sure that they do things you know the right way. Um Ryan what do you think?
4: Yeah I agree with um what Nick and Rambo have said so far. I mean it's it's massively important that we can keep these players on the ice as much as possible but but only when they're fit and healthy and they can perform their best. And I think that's that's probably the most important thing for for all coaches really to take off the back of it that you know you want your players to be performing at their best but they're not going to do that if they're injured or if they've if they're carrying a, a problem so it's it's massively important that we can look at injury prevention and, and keep these players on the ice
2: yeah definitely and Stephen you're you're coming outside the BA so I'm super interested to to see what you think and especially you know working with kids um, can be a different type of environment in terms of injury uh, injuries and you know what you can do as a coach to make sure that your players are safe
3: yeah yeah um... I think, first off, uh, injury prevention starts with educating the kids um, from warming up level before they go on the ice, how to warm up, how to prepare, how to stretch to avoid the the pulled muscles and things like that. So we spend a bit of time trying to teach kids that that, that side of things. Um, We also have – I have a body checking module that I run through with a lot of kids at at club levels as much as I can because, obviously, when the kids go from under 13 where there's no contact – into under 15, where it's full contact. So we have a we have a body checking module where we teach kids how to give and receive a body check, and how to do it. How to give how to give a body check safely, how to take a body check. We 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 teach them about the the danger danger spots around the rink where you know that that, that space where they're maybe four to six feet off the boards if they were to get body checked. You know we, we teach that we try and teach them how to position themselves and things like that to, to to avoid injury. Um, of course the sports growing and learning all the time as well you know concussion protocol is, is such a big thing nowadays where if, if, if a player of any age is showing any sign of concussion now you, you take them out of the game straight away whereas back in the days when I played I got my bell rung four or five times and the coach just kind of said come on walk it off son it was <laughs> carry on so yeah the, the, the sport, sports learning all the time But there's, there's lots of things that speaking on behalf of junior hockey players there's lots of things that they can do to prepare themselves to, to try and avoid injury. I mean, it's, it's a contact sport. It's a dangerous sport. It's an enclosed sport with, with, with boards and plexiglass and things like that. Injuries happen. You're know, you, you you're not going to stop it. You're, not, you're never going to stop it from happening. But like I say, the, the game's learning all, all the time. And the game's changing all the time as well. Like, again, going back a few years ago to when I played, you were always encouraged to finish your hit, finish your hit, finish your hit every chance you get that's that's changed now that, that the with the new rules the minute the minute the puck leaves a player's stick you're not allowed to finish your hit anymore and 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 co- coaches nowadays all over the world are now teaching teaching players to play the puck first not the body it sticks the the phrase is stick on puck get your stick on the puck now rather than rather than try and just just look to make that body check so the game's changing all the time for, for, for in a in a good way as far as, as far as injuries go i think
2: it's actually really nice to hear you talk about that, because I think sometimes, you know, we have players come through to our teams that haven't had that experience in, in the juniors where they've been taught those things and they've been, you know, taught to focus on, you know, ob- obviously this is a physical game, but there is a way to go about things. It's not about who who you can destroy. It's not about, you know, being the most physical and stuff. So it's it's really good to hear that that there's things done right in the junior system and, and i think you know we've spoke a lot in the buha about especially when it comes to teaching contact and teaching check-in and that's really why i wanted to do this project because we don't have that framework you know we don't have the same type of development pathways for university than people go through in juniors or you know when they come from abroad they'll have a completely you know different type of system and i think it's really important we we you know all acknowledge the the injury side of things and how we can you know structure our teaching better and and make sure that the players you know know that this is a, obviously a sport with risks but we can we can do what we can to make sure that we're focusing on the game um well thanks this is that that's really really helpful to know and you know hear all your opinions i'll move on to the questions we got through instagram they are kind of staying on the same Path, but we'll get stuck in. The first question that came through Instagram. This is actually quite, quite heavy. What ways do you think players' skills and hockey-related improvements are going to be affected because of the pandemic? Hmm. And this is assuming most of us haven't had ice time during the pandemic. Ryan, we'll go to you first. What do you think?
4: I I have to apologize. My internet's just cut out, and I've completely missed the question.
2: No, it's all right. I'll read it again. So this is this is, this question is through Instagram. In what ways do you think player skill and hockey related improvements are going to be affected because of the pandemic?
4: Oh, I think I think massively to be honest. I think if players have, have been off the ice for, you know, a full year now and and they've not got on the ice and if they've not been doing things off the ice to help um, you know it's going to be massively affected i think if if players have been you know following some of the stuff you've been putting on instagram uh, some of the skill stuff on there practicing some of that you know it won't be as big but i think if there's players that have done absolutely nothing for a full year you're gonna really know it's, it's a difference when they do get back on the ice
2: yeah for sure what about you Rambo? especially i know steel queens have been quite lucky we've got um some office workouts being put out and you know we've we've really tried to push the girls to do a lot but how do you think that not having ice will affect our girls
0: well i think you know the fitness stuff you, you can motivate people so much when there's no season um and some of the some of the girls are really good at it and there's some of them that you know tell me they're doing it and i'm not quite sure because they never appear on any of kenny's lists or anything but um i i, I think the fitness stuff is something you can take care of but I think you know it's skating at the end of the day. It's a different technique from walking or running. It's it's not, and even roller skating doesn't help your ice skating greatly, in my opinion, because you know unless you've got really fancy wheels or something, it sticks. So yeah, I think the skating side of it and the and the hands, because I uh, I tried to have a really stick handle for the video I done for you, and uh and my hands were terrible. So yeah, I think I think people are going to get rusty. Um, I think it'll be interesting to hear from from Stevie because obviously the, uh, you know, like it'll be different with kids because some of them are going to miss like sort of an entire year of development. At our level, I think because we're all adults and know kind of what we can focus on and what we can do at home, it might be a little bit less of an impact than perhaps it will be for for the juniors.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, going on to the juniors, Stephen. What do you think? What what kind of things will you see? You know, once we eventually, at some point, we'll get we'll get everyone back on the ice. It, it's
3: it's a really difficult question to answer, and to be honest, we probably won't know until kids get back on the ice. I think coaches are really going to have to assess the levels of the of the kids in Scottish ice hockey once once we do get back on the ice, whatever that may be. Um, certain kids are, are very highly motivated to be doing their own things, you know, whether it be running, biking, you know, doing stuff in their garages with some weights or, you know, and things like that. So, some kids will be very motivated to keep the fitness levels up, but other kids maybe not so much. So I, I think first and foremost, the first thing we're going to see is when, when, we, when we do get back on the ice is, we'll, we'll see what everyone's fitness levels are. And then, then we'll see what, what which kids have been working hard in the last, six nine twelve months during lockdown and which kids haven't um the, the the bigger picture for us right now in, in scottish ice hockey for a junior level is it's not necessarily worrying about what kids skill levels are going to be once we return it's actually trying to figure out how many kids are going to are going to leave the sport altogether that's that that's that's, that's the bigger picture for us right now you know Scottish hockey is not like Scottish football, whereas if Scottish football lost 100 or 200 kids, it's a pebble in the ocean. If Scottish hockey lost 100 kids, it's potentially catastrophic in the sense that some clubs might not be able to put a team in at every age group next year and and, and things like that. So the development side of things, yeah, we'll, we'll really just have to assess that once kids get back on the ice. But like I say, there's, 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 maybe, there's maybe one or two bigger concerns right now that we're trying to... Uh, that we're trying to solve. Uh, So Scottish Ice Hockey have put together a few webinars lately, um, Zoom fitness sessions and things like that, really just to try and keep kids motivated and to keep keep them thinking about hockey. Uh, Because, as you all know, at this time right now, there's no timeline as to when ice rinks are going to be able to open. So we we could be looking at another one, three, five months of this. We we just don't know. It's... it's, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to consider um, as far as as far as getting
2: back on the ice. Yeah, that is actually really interesting to hear. You know, I think a lot of people don't realise that, that this whole situation can really make players quit and, and you know, we can lose players and, and to other bigger hockey countries, it's, you know, it's not as big of a deal losing those 100 players and I think, you know, especially with Scottish hockey, that's really important that you guys try and get those players back on and make sure that kids still want to play and still have us somewhere to play you know it's not granted either that we we have those places to play where you know we're not as lucky with with the rinks and stuff so that's yeah, really interesting there's, here there's,
3: there's there's so many other factors to consider as well i mean you look at some ice rinks have been shut since last march and it could be another three or four months till they open yet yeah, you could be looking at 18 months think how much a 13 or 14 year old kid can grow at 18 months and they they might be looking at needing a complete new a complete new set of equipment from skates right right up to helmet. Now that that can be a thousand pounds. No, you might you might have some parents that say, "Sorry, can't afford that." Well, you're going to have to maybe think about trying something else. Or, so yeah, there's there's lots of factors that that that's that's, yeah. that's giving cause for concern right now.
2: Yeah, I definitely think that the uh, effects of the pandemic in hockey will go beyond just. This- the skill level and, and development side for for sure um what about you Nick how do, how do you think you'll see in you know your university club um the the pandemic playing out really
1: yeah I I, I completely agree with everything that's been said there and I, I think Stephen's made the made great points about how this is going to affect the junior level I think we're all intrigued from a personal point of view how how the university side of things is going to Is going to work out because obviously you look at there's a lot of people who are now currently obviously not at university either distance learning and the etc like that. Which how long is that going to continue for? Are some universities going to be more for that in the future than they have been before? You you then look at not only from a, a UK perspective. Obviously we're we're very fortunate in the university sector that we have some fantastic imports and fantastic foreign students who come and. Come and join, and, and not only improve the standard of our our game and the and the quality of our teams, but also the quality of our players by training with them and and giving the experience and knowledge that that comes from that. And it's whether or not they're going to be as free and as accessible to to come to the UK anymore, and whether or not they're going to want to. Like we, so going back to Northumbria as an example, we had three really keen and very good skilled Czech students at the start of this season in, in 2020 in uh, in September, October, when we were allowed on the ice. So they're, they're all now back home and all potentially looking at different options of maybe not even returning to the UK to complete studies and, and doing something else. So it will be a big loss from uh, from that point of view that we're going to lose – Maybe not only generations of, of of UK players and and the impact that that's going to have down the line, but also um, the influence of uh, the, these foreign players who come in and play a massive role in the development of our game as well.
2: Yeah, I think we'll be we'll be seeing these effects across the you know standards and and leagues and you know age levels. It's definitely going to going to be a challenge for all of us to get back um, but the next question is kind of going on from what we've been saying about you know keeping your players in in the game and um, somebody has asked how do you as a coach motivate your players to keep active and practicing skills when it's hard to even keep yourself motivated at these times and um, Rambo I'll go to you first.
0: Um, that's something that I do struggle with um, I do put posts out and things to to the team obviously asking them to to join Kenny's classes I've been trying to do some of my own uh, fitness stuff managed to run the equivalent of a marathon over about 10 days but still managed to do it um in January so I'm trying to kind of keep myself active so you know girls can see that I'm I'm keeping myself active as well uh Kenny is doing a great job because he's loud and he's sort of fearless and quite enjoys being loud and fearless and and not really caring about embarrassing himself so he's getting out there and doing all these fitness classes for us which helps a lot um so i think it 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 can't just be one coach saying please keep doing this please keep doing this i think it does take the sort of the village approach where you need you know a few coaches your your leadership group to, to to step up and motivate your your players as well
2: yeah, it's definitely good. I think for Steve Queens, we're really lucky to have Kenny, who's sort of so motivated himself as well. It's kind of easy. I think it comes naturally to him to motivate all of us as well. So it's really great. Um, Ryan, what about you? How How do you, you know, keep yourself motivated and then, then put that motivation onto your players?
4: Yeah, I think i probably just reiterate what Rambo's just said, really. Um, I know from if we look at GBU as a as an example, they've got, you know, got a good team of staff working with that to sort of get the messages out of what needs to happen. But the players themselves have really taken ownership of of motivating each other and trying to get everybody else to to get involved with it. So I'd say sort of spreading the workload out with as many people as possible so it's not all on one person is, is definitely a very good way of keeping everyone motivated.
2: Yeah. And it's always great when the motivation comes straight from the player. So, you know, that they're the ones sort of leading the motivation. It's always the best way because that way they're, they're involved because they want to be there. So, and I've seen that the GBU girls, for example, have put up an Instagram page. And I think that's such a great way for them to, you know, keep each other accountable and motivated and stuff like that. So that's really, really good. Nick, how do you keep your players motivated?
1: Again, very much what the other guys have said. It's difficult to keep yourself motivated and, and, and try and do it that way, but it, it does, as Rambo said, it does take a village. It does take the key members of the team and the club all kind of keeping each other in check, if you know what I mean, in terms of making sure we're all being responsible for each other. And I think the other thing from a from a university point of view is it might not be as big a challenge now that a lot of them are now back home, but certainly... For the first half of the season that we had, was we there's a lot of students who've come come away to university who then suddenly were having to self isolate or suddenly kind of felt abandoned and and couldn't even be part of the team and, and be physically with the team if you know what I mean. It was a it was a mental health challenge as much as anything else probably being the biggest factor which um, which needed to be done. But we we've been fortunate and it, it takes sometimes it's it's about stepping away from hockey as well and realizing that it's it's a social group for people and it, it's a friendship group and um whether that might be a quiz or something totally non-hockey related or whatever it might be I know uh, some of the kings have been doing watch-along parties for different things and and bits and pieces like that which it's it's all important and it builds on what Ryan was saying previously about teamwork and camaraderie and the rest of it and it just builds a bond and it's the bonds like that which are going to bring people back to the rink together in terms of, oh, hey, actually, I'm thinking of walking away from this. Well, actually, no, sorry, my, my two best friends do this as well. I want to go spend time with them. It, it's going to be important. So it is difficult to motivate, but it, you, you have to try and do what you can where you can, and it's, it's great with what you've done with the development page, and obviously I'm sure the other guys in this have, have had people who – may have approached them during the pandemic and asked them questions as to what they could be doing or, or what works for what, what they can be trying to do. And and, it, and it's big. It's, it, it is big, but it's very, very difficult.
2: Yeah, I totally hear, especially about the, you know, the mental challenges. I think at some point in this, A lot of players and, you know, people in general have felt really, you know, disconnected from other people. And and I think for a lot of hockey players, you know, hockey is the main source of, you know, social circle that they have, particularly if you're really involved in uni hockey. So having that taken away can, can be really challenging. Um, Stephen, you mentioned that you you guys at Scotch Hockey do webinars to try and you know get players involved. But is, is it different in the junior system? You know, uh, you know, depending on the age of the, the players and you know how can you be connected to them? Is, is the motivation? How do you kind of wrap that when it comes to to this kind of age group?
3: I think uh, I think motivation is something that comes from within. I think it can be very difficult to put motivation into somebody sometimes. Uh, especially where we are right now, where there's not even a timeline as to where you know people can't even see light at the end of the tunnel. We're also dealing with young hockey players where, if their parents aren't motivated to push their kids on, it's going to make the kids less motivated. Um, so that, that, that's one of the That's that's one of the biggest challenges we find. It's sometimes it's the motivation of the parents as well that that, that has a big effect on on the child. Um, so what we're doing with Scottish ice hockey is we're trying to keep kids engaged in the game as much as we can. We we've reached, we've reached out to elite league players, elite league coaches, you know, people that we've worked with in Scottish ice hockey before. And the fact, the, the great thing about it is everybody's willing to help because everybody's on un, everybody's understanding of the situation we're in. So we've, we've had elite league players come and do question and answer sessions. We actually had three elite league players on for a webinar last night. Um, we've also introduced some coaches um, to talk to talk to players, uh, growth mindset. Well, a growth mindset expert came on last Saturday to give the kids a little motivational talk about how how important a part of the mind plays in in times in times like these to to, to, to stay motivated. Um, and we're doing we're yeah Zoom Zoom classes as well for for fitness to keep just to keep kids thinking about hockey basically. But but yeah. The motivation thing's difficult because you can't even get your teams. Coaches can't even get their teams together right now. Obviously, even in a park to do to do to do a workout or a fitness session. Whereas when when you've got them face to face, you can maybe motivate them a lot better than you can via a camera. The way everybody has to do it right now, you know.
2: Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of, I think, motivation, like you said, definitely comes from within. But I think you're dealing with, you know, even a more difficult situation where you have to have the parents sort of involved. You know, they have to allow the kids to be involved. And it's not like our uni players where, you know, they can pick up an Instagram necessarily and, and, you know, find these things. And it always depends on what group of people we're dealing with. But really great answers. I think, you know, we can all do so much in the players' also have to keep their motivation but of course it's it's really really hard and um, the next question was what should teams focus on after we get back on the ice is it skill fitness or something else and I think we kind of touched base this on this a little bit Stephen you mentioned we have to sort of really see where players are but but if you had to give this person who asked some pointers um, on what teams should focus on and um, what would they be and and Ryan we'll go to you
4: first I think it's always got to be skill development to start with. I think these players are coming back after a little while. I think, um, you know, you're, it's almost like a pre-season, isn't it? That, you know, you've got to get some conditioning in there. You've got to get that skill development done uh, and get those players almost ready and phase back in. I think, you know, it's, it's no good coming straight in and running some systems and, and tactics and stuff like that with these players. When, they're, when they've been off the ice for a year, you know, you've, you've really got to phase them back into it and make sure that they're they're ready to be doing that sort of level of competition.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that'll be a really big thing. Not, you know, being so excited that you're playing again that you forget, you know, we have a whole year behind us that we didn't get to build on those skills to focus on the tactics and stuff. Um, Nick, what about you? What do you think, you know, Northumbria will focus on when they get back?
1: Uh, exactly what Ryan just said there, reminding people that when they step back on the ice, as excited as they're going to be, they're not going to be able to play at 100 miles an hour. They're not going to be up to 100%. They're not going to have their hands and feet in coordination and everything in time. It's about, one, not only managing the frustration that comes with that for, for some of these players who might have played a year or might have played 10 years. It's going to be similar challenges for everybody. But also reminding them from an injury point of view, your, your body's going to be doing things that it hasn't done in a long time. You can't suddenly be sprinting up and down the ice at full speed and and stopping and turning in the same way that you used to you've got to, you've got to gradually build up to where you want to be so what ryan said with the skill development so important as a coach that you've got to coach responsibly that hey we're not going out there first session and, and doing suicides for the fun of it kind of thing we it, people aren't at that level to have the fitness to be able to to do these things or or do some of the the more normal things that you might do as a coach if you know what i mean
2: yeah, I totally hear you. We got one ice time during lockdown. Well, after the sort of most, you know, hardest lockdown ended, we get got one ice time and I remember going on and I was so excited just about the fact that we got to play and I realized I actually can't even skate a lap without being tired. So all my dreams of actually playing a game just went straight down. So yeah, totally, totally agree with all of those points. Um, Stephen, how do you think you'll manage this with the juniors? You know, you'll probably have all these kids coming on, being so excited to play again. Um, where will you start? Apart from, you well, know, obviously assessing them.
3: Well, we we got to experience that a little bit back in September, where we, we got we managed to get the majority of junior hockey up and running for that three month period before Christmas. There, um, I th- I think it was actually kind of funny. His kids have been maybe six months without being on the ice in that first practice when you went on the ice with them. Yeah, a lot of them had forgotten how to do a lot of the simple things. Um, so there, there's definitely an element of taking things back to basics for two or three practices just to let them get just to, just to get them accustomed to being, but being back on the ice and moving their feet and holding a stick and handling a puck. Um, fitness is obviously going to have to play, be, a, be a big key thing as well once, once they get the, the comfortability of being, being back on the ice a couple of times as well. And I think the other key thing, and this 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 isn't just for junior players, it's senior players, rec players, people of all ages. I think once we do get back on the ice, you've got to let everybody have a little bit of fun for the first two or three sessions, because it's been a long, long time since. some we, We've got kids right now that haven't been on the ice in a year, um, and that's a hell of a long time. I think you've really got to let them have, have that. That little bit of fun in the first couple of sessions blow off a little bit of steam and let them enjoy themselves again and like i say that that's the same for a, a six-year-old or a, a, or a 50-year-old red player you, you know you, you we've got to we've got to introduce that bit of fun in the first the first couple of sessions i think
2: yeah i definitely agree from a player's side i could not think of anything worse then going on the ice now after the year and the coach making you do like suicide drills or some <laughs> horrible you know that could that as a player that's that's the most horrible thing i can think of so definitely i think that the fun aspect of things is really important as well and also just just remind players why they like to play you know that's really important and um, rambo how do you think you'll you'll manage when when we go back where where do you think we'll start
0: um i think I think skill development is uh, is key for for a starting, but I, I'm actually glad Stevie said what he said because I think the, the main thing is if everyone comes back and the first thing you're doing is try to drive home, like you know fitness drills and all this sort of stuff and, and, and getting everybody and it's just sort of basic base level the whole way through. I think people will maybe get sick of it after one session. and go, I don't really like this. So I think having fun for a few sessions is important. Um, I think. That coupled with having a really good warm-up so nobody pulls anything when <laughs> when they're having fun. um, And I think maybe a few sort of more small area, sort of managed games, so you can keep an eye on how players are doing, but also they can have fun and a bit of competition as well. Because at the end of the day, I think that's the main motivation for me with sport is, is we play it to compete. Whether we're good, bad or ugly. I mean, I'm a Scottish rugby fan, so I know about heartbreak and, and not winning at sports, but it's, it is about com- competition and that's why we do it. Um, at the end of the day so I think having a bit of competition at the start uh, coupled in with, with the skill development and making sure players are warmed up appropriately so they don't pull anything
2: Yeah, I mean we'll, we'll try and aim for that um, Thank you for these I think if there's any you know BHA coaches listening that might not have, have that much experience or you know be a bit unsure on how to do things or where to go with this I think these tips are really good to, to remember once we eventually do go and we will eventually go back you know it's just have to write this wave out and um, we also have a couple of more light-hearted questions here and um, first one is if you could add a rule to the rule book what is it and why and I'll let you guys think about this for a second because I think it might be difficult I'll tell you what rule I would add and this is me representing the entire female population I would add a rule that men cannot tap you like this like on your head or like on your shoulder when you're playing because you're small. And I think Rambo you're laughing because if you remember there was a game where somebody asked Nadine if they need help going over the board and you know we need to make that into the rule book that's a misconduct let's let's just get them out. Um, so Rambo would you add anything to the rule book uh, being a referee and all? Uh,
0: first and foremost um I actually would have given that guy a misconduct because he came dangerously close to grabbing the Dean's bum as well when he was trying to pretend to lift it over the boards um, but I guess adding the rule and why I would I would maybe add by um, subtraction I would take the puck over the glass rule and change it where you can't change your players in it um, rather than having a penalty for it because I think it's one of the saddest plays where it, where it's a clear like the puck's rolling and a guy's flicked it over the barrier trying to just get out of the zone uh, it, it to me is quite a annoying rule so i would i would probably take that out of the rule book and change it to be in the same rule as icing where you you're penalized by going in your own zone you can't change players
1: yeah
2: that's completely fair nick would you add anything to the rule book and why would you do it
1: I, I think the puck over the glass thing that Rambo's just talked about there is, is incredibly good point, whether or not it needs to be changed that I, I agree with the icing type thing that you can't change your players. And maybe there needs to be some type of a warning given. Um, and then obviously if it does continue, maybe there is the option that a penalty can be given because there are teams that would do it blatantly uh, and, and just even take the couple of seconds rest for not changing their players on an icing and just resetting for a face off. Um, but no, I, I would I, probably that's one of the biggest bugbears that I've I've got personally. Other than um, I do sometimes wish in, in certain lower development leagues and games that there was an imaginary kind of uh, not necessarily a shot clock, but a puck carrying clock in terms of we've all seen it before where one person seems to pretty much carry the puck for 90% of the time that they're on the ice and it just becomes their show. I wish there was kind of a, a magical clock to. Uh, Oh, you have to pass by now, or you have to get rid of the puck. So that would be nice sometimes.
2: Yeah, definitely. What about you, Ryan? Especially in the international game, is there any rules you wish there was that don't exist yet?
4: Oh, I can't. If I'm if I'm really honest, I can't think. I can't think of too much. <laughs> it's, it's a, a difficult, it's a very question. comprehensive rule book Anyway, um, I think t- to be honest, for me, so one of the biggest challenges of international is is the the strict timelines that you have to stick to. So I don't know how many people know about this, but everything down to the it's, it's all worked out down to the minute of what, what you have to do and by when and, and where you have to be. And, you know, it, when we don't have that normally in all of our games for the players to get used to, it takes them, you know, a couple of or almost a couple of games just to get used to it, which at international level, you're pretty much at the end of a competition. So so it's something around either either implementing that in the British game, which I think would be impossible or sort of changing it slightly for, for the international game, just just mainly for a player's perspective, though
2: yeah that is so true I think sometimes when you're when you're at international competitions and if you've not been around that that environment before and you you get that sheet before the games and it says 20 seconds before them you know literally 20 seconds before the game of what you have to do it can be really like whoa but imagine we did that for uni you know our players turn up to the rink like 10 minutes before the face-off they would have no clue what they're doing um but really good stuff Stephen would you add anything to to the junior hockey rules if, if you could add Something
3: Yeah. I was glad you came to me last, but I think I, I think I need more time. I'm still trying to think. <laughs> um, I wouldn't like to change too much of the rules to be honest. I think the rules have been changed quite a lot over the last few years, um, all for the better. The one thing I've always wanted to do with regards to junior hockey is have some, have some the odd tournament throughout the year where the rules were completely different. I'd like I'd like to see kids play a game over the course of a weekend of a tournament where there was no icons or offsides, for instance. Just a completely different dynamic to, to a game, just to get kids thinking a little bit differently, you know. Um, but as far, as far as the rules go, I, I, think they're, I, I think the people in the IIHF that run hockey are probably more educated than, than, than myself to, to, to make those decisions.
2: Yeah, I'm wondering um, what the sort of idea or what the thoughts are of the person who asked these questions. Are they unhappy with the rule book or or was this just a, just an inquiry? But yeah, I think it would be funny to see you know players play without the current rules, how they would take that on. So we, I we did. It, really
3: we, I, I, I've got a vague recollection of we did it once in Edinburgh when I played for Edinburgh the Capels. We had a tournament where I think it was Edinburgh, Fife, Dundee, and Newcastle. Played a a, a day long tournament um, where there was no license and offsides, and I remember as an adult thinking this is quite fun. It's different, you know. It's I, th- I think it's something kids could potentially really uh, really enjoy doing too.
2: For sure, Rambo, you have some some question or, or um, comment. Yeah, I,
0: I haven't had time to think about this a little bit more. Um, as a referee who's done SNL games and an NHL games. Um, I would I would get rid of the um, imports only allowed one on the ice rule because I think quite frankly, as a re- from a referee's perspective, it's just another thing to think about when we've already all agreed that the rulebook's pretty comprehensive anyway. I see the 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 reasons behind it in some respects because you don't want to just hot shot one line where they're just dominant and then you have your sort of second line holding on for dear life. But as a ref, from a referee's perspective, it's something I would I would be quite happy to get rid
2: of. <laughs> um, there's also a question that came through as for the host, and it says, "Would you rather fight one Chara-sized duck or ten duck-sized Charas?" And it, most of you listening will know Chara is like two meters tall, if not over, and like must be over a hundred kilograms. So, okay, let's see anything. The size of Chara, I think I just lose. I have no chance. Absolutely, so I think the ducks out the picture. But then I think I'm taking a death wish, taking anything that has the name Chara in it. But I have to take the ten size Charas because maybe I'll have the 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 you know size to my advantage. But who knows? I don't know that. I don't fight either, so maybe I'll just it's it's a death wish for wish you know whichever I choose. But anyway, uh, we've got one more sort of lighthearted question for you all. And <laughs> it is this is also definitely someone's asked this because they know I'm from Finland. Cleared the debate. Finland and Sweden are playing. Who do you cheer for? I'm not going to answer this yet. I'll go straight to Ryan.
4: Oh, I feel I can only say Finland, really, can I? If, if you're asking the question, <laughs> I feel it'd be controversial to say anything yeah. else. <laughs>
2: No no go go with what you think.
4: I was I was going to say I I probably would cheer for Finland to be fair. Uh, I've been there more than I've been to been to Sweden so I'll go off that back in anyway.
2: That that's a good answer. Nick, what do you think? You've also been to Finland a few times?
4: I, I was about to say like uh, is is my
1: passport going to get revoked at the border if I don't say Finland to this question for the next time we want to go to Viramäki. So, uh no I I would go with the Finns. They they've always got the uh the plucky underdog kind of uh kind of style. I'll we'll go with that.
2: What about you, Stephen? I don't know if you follow if, um, the Scandinavian hockey scene much, but this is, uh, for me, a huge debate, but go with what you think.
3: I'd probably say Finland, purely purely just because I spent a week in Viramaki myself a few years ago, so that, that, that probably just like, swings it for me.
2: Good answer. Rambo. Only one right
0: answer, but go ahead. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, without being boring, I'd probably support Finland as well um, as the... Uh, as the underdogs and if you're talking women's world championships i probably support finland on the basis that they were robbed at the uh, the world championships they got to the final and so um yeah i would i would i would back finland um also i think you know Ratty's one of my favorite goalies that i've ever watched and stuff as well so yeah probably probably back them but if you were asking me switzerland versus finland you know my answer to that would definitely be switzerland so we'll just leave it at that
2: Yeah. And it will be because of Florence Shellen, So we'll, we'll just leave it at that. Um, whoever asked that question was clearly trying to turn against me. But as you can see, our whole panel is for Finland. So, you know, just, just let's leave it that, at that. Now, to wrap things up, we've got one last question. And it's, you know, pretty serious one. What would you like to tell? Players and coaches out there right now who might need some extra motivation to keep looking forward to returning on the ice. Nick, we will start with you.
1: <laughs> Nick's never ready. I really wish you'd start with me. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's what you said earlier, Essie hockey will return. You've just got to indefinitely plan for whenever that's going to be. There will be players, there will be ice, there will be hockey played again. Don't know when it's going to be, but you've just got to be ready for whenever that moment turns up. I think right now, if, if all all five of us on this call, if we were told that we could go to the rink this afternoon and play in coach session, we, we'd make it work and we'd all be happy to do so. So we've just got to be ready for that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Stephen, what do you think? What would you tell these players and coaches out there?
3: Yeah, just similar. Um, you know, just keep the right mindset The good times will come back again, and like that—that's you could say the same thing a seven-year-old or a fifty-year-old. You know, we're we're getting we're hopefully getting closer all the time to return. Um, We've we've stuck it out for for a long time. Another month or two months or however long it may be is it's not going to be the end of the world. And just imagine, just think and imagine that feeling it's going to be when we do when the when the when the padlocks do come off the front doors of the ice rinks and we do get back to doing it all again. It's it's going to be a great feeling.
2: Oh yeah, I definitely think we're all going to be 10 times happier and have a bit of a happy boost for a long time from just getting back. Um Ryan, what would you tell these these players and coaches who who are a little bit worried?
4: Yeah, again it's the same thing. Just, you know, stick with it, keep going. Um make make sure they they sort of support each other as well and speak to each other and and, and offer that support around each other to sort of get them get them through the last little bit now before we before we can get back into the rinks.
2: Yeah, definitely. And finally, Rambo, what would you tell everyone out there?
0: Well, when you asked this question, yeah, uh, uh, the immediate thing that came to my head was the, the old Vera Lynn song, the be bluebirds over, you know, the, the white walls of Murrayfield tomorrow, just you wait and see. So I think people just need to stay, you know, calm. It will eventually happen. The last thing we want is um, certainly for like Murrayfield to open, do all the work to open, in terms of Murrayfield, and then be shut, because I think that could spell the end of a rink like Murrayfield. It might be the same for other rinks that are a bit more, they're privately run, a bit small, uh, like sort of older style, where it costs a fortune to get the ice down. So, um, yeah, stay calm. It'll happen at the right time. We'll get back on the ice, um, and you know we'll have a, We'll have a ball when we when we do that. Um, and hopefully we can we can organise some fun tournaments and, and stuff like that as well for people. That's, you know, something I'd be quite interested in, in seeing happen as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. I agree with all of that. And I think from my side, you know, I think it's so important for players and coaches alike to remember that we've lived through a really exceptional year. And, you know, your priorities will have changed with that. And that's totally OK. You know, you, you have to adapt your expectations to yourself and, and you know, your players if, if you're the coach. Now, you, you know, we're not, able to do the same things we did a year ago and i think for myself i i there was a point where i definitely was frustrated because i wasn't doing as much but then you have to realize it's not the same time and you have to you know be kind to yourself be kind to the people around you and this will pass at some point so just you know keep going be kind to everyone around you keep checking on your teammates it's so important um I've said this in the development page as well. It's so important you check in with your teammates, make sure, you know, people around you are okay to come back and things like this. So yeah, you know, echoing what everyone said, we will get back on the ice. Now, thank you so much, everyone, for joining, especially Stephen and Ryan. It was so good to have you guys on and have your input into things. We will keep updating the BRT Development Instagram with all the info. Um, Stephen, can you tell us quickly before we sign off, where can people find information about the Scottish Ice Hockey webinars and, and all the resources that you guys are trying to put out for players? Because I'm sure Uh-oh. they will be relevant for, for a lot of people.
3: Yeah, if all announcements go out on the Scottish Ice Hockey website and then the Facebook page, Twitter page, and then we've recently set up an Instagram page as well. So um, just, go search, just go searching for Scottish Ice Hockey on, on social media. You'll find all the all the links to all the webinars that we're holding. We're going to be doing a lot more over the coming weeks and months. We've, 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 we started this thing called Friday Night Live, where we have basically a live a webinar every Friday night at 8, eight o'clock. We have some great people on it talking about hockey, sharing experiences, stories, things like that. Um, and like I said, we, we, we do some things on Wednesday nights, some stuff on Saturday mornings. We're just trying to put as much information and as much stuff out there as we can. And it's, 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 it, everyone's welcome. It's not just for the kids of Scottish hockey. It's coaches, it's players, it's rec players, it's fans. It's, it's it, it, Everybody's welcome to tune in to, um, to, to, to listen to what people are saying.
2: Yeah, definitely. I definitely recommend everyone to check it out. You know, as you said, it's not just for the kids. And I think we have a lot of players who are keen to get more involved in in any resources that are out there. So thank you again so much for joining us. And thank you, Richard, Ryan, Stephen, Nick. We will see you guys next time.